Can you imagine, thank you, brother, being in that place with all the people of all the nations gathered together? And we've all finished our life, we've run our race, and we're there. And maybe Gabriel will announce him. And then we will see him face to face. Did you know that you're going to see him face to face? That's what the Bible says. Do you anticipate that day? You know, we gather together in, in our gatherings, sometimes in Easter Sunday mornings, we celebrate, we rejoice, we say hallelujah, hosanna, we sing, we get the kids singing, we, you know, we play instruments, we dance, and it's all because we think he's worth celebrating. Someday, my friends, don't be surprised if you see me dance. And I won't be surprised if I see some of you actually raise a hand. I mean, you think that we're all going to be going, oh, I don't want anybody to think weird of me. In that day when you see him face to face, you will erupt. And that's what life is for. That is your destiny as a follower of Jesus Christ, my friend. You will see him. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I'm so glad that you're here today. Welcome, Cedar Mill Bible Church. We're glad that you made a choice to celebrate Easter together with us. Every day is Easter, in a sense. Every day is Resurrection Day because we believe that He truly is risen, that He's alive. And it's worth celebrating all the time. But it's nice to have a special day, isn't it? Where you, where you focus in one more time on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible, I want to ask you to take it. Um, you can find one in the pew in front of you. You turn to John's Gospel, chapter 11, if you would. We'll look at that in a few minutes. Matt and I have been reading a book uh, by Eugene Peterson. He, he recommended it to me, and he told me the name of it was called Practice Resurrection. And I thought, I'd never heard that before. Practice Resurrection, sort of curious words. It's a commentary on Ephesians. If you're visiting with us here today, what we typically do here is that we take the preaching time, we teach through the Word of God, because we deeply believe that this is the Word of God, and that if we will focus, understand, submit, and obey the Word of God, God will change our lives. So we trust in the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the God who wrote it down for us. And so we study it on Sunday, and we're working through, verse by verse, the letter that we call Ephesians. It's the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus we call Ephesians. So we've been, you know, as Matt and I have been teaching, and we, we read commentaries and other people's opinion on things. And so he gave me this book, or he, he recommended it. I got my own copy, because I write in books, you know. You ever do that? So I can't borrow anybody else's book, because I scribble all over them. So he gave me, anyway, I got this book, and I read it, Practice Resurrection. And I, I thought the title was rather strange. I'd never heard the words before, and I don't personally use them, hadn't used them before. But the longer that... And the more that I read through the book and the more that I compared it with the Word of God and the more that I examined my own life and some of your lives, I thought, this is right. This is a good way of expressing what it is that God wants us to do. So I'm going to submit it to you today and hopefully I will help you make sense of it and that you will walk out of here saying the resurrection is not only about Jesus Christ. He has called us to practice resurrection it sounds, it's, it, those words are like strong words, mature words, you know, it's all free of hypocrisy. And when you think about those words, you might think those are for the strong, but they're really for us, and we're full of weakness ourselves. We know that. You know that about yourself. I used to be really bothered when someone would draw that to my attention, particularly about the church. 
They'd say something along the lines, perhaps you've heard this, I don't like the church because it's full of hypocrites. You ever heard that? I've heard it a lot. It used to really bug me, and I'd get defensive about the church because I love the church. Pastors should love the church. and But I've loved the church for a long time, and if I wasn't a pastor, I, I hope I would still love the church. I hope you do. So I was bothered by that. I don't like the church. It's full of hypocrites. But over a period of time, I began to realize they are really right. <laughs> it is full of hypocrites, isn't it? I mean... And, I, and I, so I would say something like, you're so right, and more than you ever knew, it's true. And then I would usually add a little comment, and you know, you would be really welcome here. <laughs> in fact, you would fit right in with the rest of us. I can't help that. that it's called the flesh. Um, but the truth is, we're all hypocrites. I mean, who who among us lives up to... Our own standards for what's right, let alone God's standards. I mean, do you do you walk the talk? Is your life behavior always consistent with what it is you think is right? No, we're all hypocrites. We all stumble. Everyone stumbles and falls. Christians are no different. If you know of Christians and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ and you know of the Christians who give the impression that they never fail, I want to tell you it's just an impression. It's not reality. Jesus never called us to be perfect. He called us to follow the perfect one himself. I'm so glad for that. And he was amazing. He was amazing. I always think about Easter and I think about people who who come in and, and they're a little perplexed by us getting excited about Jesus. I mean, we just, we do. We get excited about Jesus. Sometimes some of us don't show it very much. But we, I mean, we love him. We think he's wonderful. He's the most magnificent person that ever lived. And when we, when we read about him and when we learn about him, we were stunned by his life and the way he loved and the way he accepted people, the way particularly that he loved and accepted people that other people rejected, that weren't, didn't measure up to the standards, the way in which he, he touched people that nobody else would touch, the way that he pursued people that nobody else would pursue, the way that, the way that he taught and the way that he, he gently spoke the truth of God, the way that he sometimes rebuked strongly in order to bring people to God, the way in which he healed people, the way in, way in which he lived his whole life is just stunning to us. And when we think about him loving and serving and giving and caring and touching and healing, we'd like to be able to do that ourselves. And then we read in the, play, the word of God that says we're supposed to be like him, that that's what a Christian is, is someone who is a little Christ trying to be like Jesus. And, but we stumble and we're not so good at it. Sometimes. So we're learning to practice resurrection. Practice resurrection. It might help you to remember this, to actually say it out loud. So uh, would you say these two words with me? Simply practice resurrection. Say it with me. Practice resurrection. One more time. Practice resurrection. I want to suggest to you that this is something that God wants of you wants for you and offers to you. We must practice resurrection. So how do we do that? Well, it begins like everything else in the Word of God, everything else that's important. It begins with believing. It begins with faith. Faith so many times is a choice. You may say, well, you can't just choose to believe. You know, if I don't believe, I don't believe. I can't do anything about it. But we choose to believe things all the time. You believe in doctors and pills and you believe in, you know, in 
messages that you get and you believe in brakes on a car, you believe in red lights. I mean, we believe, we choose to believe all the time. So one of the, the fundamental thing perhaps for us is that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We stand here at this moment in time and we look back 2,000 years and we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you believe in this? That Jesus literally, actually, physically rose from the dead. That there really was a stone, there was a dead body, he was crucified, he was dead, buried, and he rose again the third day. Do you actually believe that? We do. When we say he is risen, we mean he is risen, he rose from the dead. We be- it was an unforgettable Sunday morning, that first Easter. Absolutely stunning, like no first day of the week had ever been before. You remember some of the story, don't you? How the disciples, they went to the tomb because they never expected this to happen. He had told them it was going to happen, but they they forgot. Can you imagine forgetting what Jesus said? So they forgot. They had said it some time ago, and, and they forgot. And so they're coming. They, remember, the women came to the tomb, and they wanted to prepare his body properly for burial because they didn't have a chance to do that. So they came on Sunday morning all with all the spices and the cloths ready to prepare his body for burial. And they were talking on the way. Do you remember? How, they can't figure out how in the world they're going to get this stone rolled out of the way. But when they got there, there were two men, the Bible says. It calls them two men, but it says also that their clothing was like lightning. I would have liked to have seen that. And one of them said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. That's Luke 24, 5 to 8. Paul wrote in Romans 1.14 that he was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the stamp of approval of Almighty God that his, his sacrifice was sufficient. He demonstrated by raising him from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 4. 1 Corinthians 15 in your Bible is that great resurrection chapter that talks about our new bodies and what's going to happen someday. It says, he was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is what God prophesied long ago. This is what we celebrate. He rose from the dead. It is Resurrection Sunday. But it's not the only thing that we believe and the only thing we celebrate, right? We stand here in this place and we look back at the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and we think it's glorious, incredible. Everything else is dependent upon this great fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then we swirl and we look towards the future, our own future, and we also see over here there is going to be a resurrection of the dead. You believe in that one? Hmm. Do you believe as much in this one as you believe in that one? That someday there will be a resurrection of the dead? The Bible says that Jesus led the way, and because he rose from the dead, we too will rise. This is a little more difficult for us because that's believing in an idea or something that actually we believe took place, a historical event. And this is going to be about us. When you leave here, will you really live again when you close your eyes for the last time in this world when you open will you open them up again what will you see on that day 
1 Corinthians 15:20 says Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's the way the Bible talks about dying, by the way, falling asleep. The first fruits. That's a puzzling word if you're not Jewish, if you don't have a Jewish history. First fruits. It's the idea that when they went into the field and it was harvest time and they were going to harvest all of the crop, maybe barley or grain or something else, they would, they would cut off a little corner of it and they would harvest and they put it in a basket and they call it first fruits. And the, the whole idea of first fruits is this is the first fruit of a huge harvest yet to come. So now the Bible says the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the first fruit of a great harvest yet to come. And guess what the great harvest yet to come is? It's us. It's us. There is a resurrection of the dead. Second Corinthians 4.14, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. God wants you to be just as certain about the resurrection of the dead as certain as you are that he rose from the dead. So here we are. We, we're caught in the middle. We look back at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we believe and we look forward at the a resurrection of the dead of which we will have a part and we also believe. We are believers. And the good news of the gospel is, is that God sent his own son so that we could have new life in him. I used to think that This whole thing about eternal life was all about after you die, then it's going to be decided whether you have eternal life or not. And I never got the the reality for years and years as a follower of Jesus. I never got the understanding that when what happens to you is this whole thing about the new birth, the new creation is Christ, that God gives us eternal life now. And that's one of the things that Ephesians is teaching us, is that when when you become a true follower of Jesus Christ, he does this miraculous thing called the new creation, the new birth, what Jesus called being born again. And Paul called it being in Christ, that God actually takes us and places us in his son, Jesus. And because we are in his son, Jesus, then of course when we die, we're going to rise again because he is the resurrection and the life. He has life. And so in him we too will have life. God has made us alive, Ephesians 2 told us, even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's pretty simple, actually. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and confess with your mouth that he is Lord. That he is master, that he is king, and one worthy of me submitting my life to. So here we are then. We look back and we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We look forward and, and we believe in the resurrection of the dead yet to come. And now we are in this middle place and here is where we practice resurrection. We practice resurrection. For us to understand this, it helps to look at the Word of God. So that's why I ask you to turn to John chapter 11. And so hopefully you've found that now. This is a story that you're familiar with. If you've read the Bible for some time, this is the story of Lazarus. Now, when you read the story, one of the things that you discover, it's, it's a little surprising, is that Jesus had a very deep friendship relationship with Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. It seems different even than any relationship they'd had with anybody else in terms of how it's described, that they loved him and he loved them. And there was an intimacy with these three people that apparently they were very close and they had supported Jesus and 
Anyway, it was a real intimacy. So you can read the whole chapter and you will find those little clues about the closeness of Jesus between these three and these three people. Now, if you know John chapter 11, you know Lazarus has gotten really sick and he is about to die. And his sisters now are sort of panicking. And so they send for Jesus. He's a little ways away and they send for Jesus. And and, and they say, you know, the one you love is sick. Turns out when you read the actual story of it, it, probably on the day they sent him, the messengers, to go find Jesus, Lazarus died. And then it says Jesus waited for two days and then he came. And that's where we pick it up if you have your Bible. John chapter 11, verse 17. Jesus arrives in this town called Bethany where they lived. So follow along in your Bible. John 11:17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I wonder what that means. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here... My brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. That word means in agony, a sorrow. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there? Now, if you've watched the movie, this is where the Hallelujah Chorus breaks out, right? No, I don't think so. He just came out, and Jesus said, let him go. Get that stuff off of him. 
The key verse is verse 25, where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Which helps us when we ponder it some, and you do have to ponder it some, because it's not easily understood. Jesus is not saying, I just have the ability to raise people from the dead, or I just have the power of life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And so when you think about Paul's idea that someone who has been born again is actually placed in Christ, and if he is the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said, then of course that person who is within Jesus, in Jesus, has resurrection and life. And God is calling us to practice who we are, to live out who it is we actually are. It is through believing in me, Jesus said, That new life is experienced. It's not just a head knowledge about believing some things about Jesus being alive somewhere. It's about believing that he is alive, that he is the resurrection and the life, and that we are in him. And it is through believing in him that new life is actually experienced. Resurrection is not a thing. It's not an event. It is a person. And they struggle to believe this, of course. They didn't get it. Just like we wouldn't get it. When you've, when you've had to go through the agony of lo- losing someone you love, when they have died and you've watched them die, and you help put their body in a tomb, and they've been there for four days, the whole idea that something could happen now, it's over. Many of you have, know what I'm talking about, and you know the power of death, which is an incredible enemy that the Bible calls death. So they turned to him. He was their only hope. But I don't even know if they were hoping for him to do anything. They questioned him. It's like they had rehearsed this whole thing. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But now it's too late. But it doesn't, there isn't any indication that they were bitter. I don't know. I could have, I would get bitter. I would say, I'm not going to the tomb. I've been there. But they go with him. And then he does this. He says, take away the stone. What are they thinking? Take away the stone. That's something they could do. So they took away the stone. And then he called... Lazarus, come out. Somebody said, I've told you that if he hadn't said the word Lazarus, everybody would have come out. (laughs) What do we do now? So Lazarus comes out and then he says, unwrap him and let him go. Someone said one time, Jesus does not do for people what we can do for ourselves. They could move the stone and they could take the clothes off, but they couldn't do anything else. They depended upon him to do that. We don't see this kind of thing every day. In fact, I've never seen it. But have you ever seen resurrection? Have you ever seen new life? And do you believe in it? Could we see more resurrection than we currently see? Do you believe in new life? In this world, as we stand here between this resurrection and that resurrection, do you believe that there's still new life happening? There's still resurrection happening? Could it be possible that God is still doing this kind of thing and that he wants to do it? I want to suggest to you that you do believe in new life and that you've actually experienced and practiced resurrection. You did it probably last fall when you took those little daffodil bulbs and you stuck them in the ground. And now they're up and beautiful. And you looked at, did you do that when well, you looked at that thing and said, man, huh? 
That's all I did, you know. I mean, but you look at it and think, well, are they really going to come out here? Or I, I worked in the yard yesterday and worked on, we have these two little, like, garden plots, and I, you know, I got some new soil and did my little rototiller, and, you know, I'm ready to plant seeds. But I know I'm going to get those little seeds, and I'm going to look at them, and I'm going to think, these are dead. But I'm going to do it anyway, because why? I believe that these things that appear dead are going to come alive, and that they're going to produce something that I... And I could never do. All I can do is stick them in the ground and try to water them enough. I can only do what I could do. And he does the rest. And then after a while, when you, do, when you start doing this, every farmer begins to realize that God has wired resurrection right into the DNA of all creation. I mean, I love Oregon at this time of the year, don't you? I mean, everything's coming out and the buds are... I mean, it's just... It's, and it's going to turn gorgeous. You know, the rhododendrons are coming, the azaleas... It's just... I love it. This is resurrection wired into creation. But for us, God is helping us to learn to stop practicing death and increasingly to practice resurrection. We do practice death, you know? You know what I mean by that? How do you practice death? You practice death when you have a relationship and you look at this relationship and you think this relationship is hopeless. It will never be any better. I give up. You practice death when when you give up on someone because they have done too many things and you don't have anything to do with them anymore. You, You practice death when you reject someone and condemn someone and you separate yourself from them and don't want to have anything more to do with them because, again, they have done too many things. You practice death in your own heart and your own life when you, th- you say to yourself, I can never change. I will always be, I've always been controlled by this. I will always be controlled by this. There's nothing that I can do. I'm just going to give myself to it. You practice death when you stop praying, when you stop asking God for that thing that's so very hard. And I've asked for so long. You practice death when you look at this part of the world and you say it can never get any better. And so we give up on it, let it die. But we practice resurrection too. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is something that God has called you to. And I want to say to you, it's called something that God has called every one of us to, to practice resurrection. Say, what would that look like? Let me give you some ideas. To practice resurrection would be, I'm going to die to my own selfishness for a change, and I'm actually going to do something for the good of other people. I'm going to sacrifice myself. That's practicing resurrection. That's putting a seed in the ground, hoping that God is going to do something. You practice resurrection when you realize that you have left God. This happens on Easter, Sunday morning, quite a bit, actually. A few years ago, I had a young man come to me and say, It wasn't anything that you said, Pastor. But I came to church on Easter because Mama said, you don't get any brunch if you don't go to church. Anybody else? Right? So I came and I, you know, I used to come a long time ago. I think it was a song or something happened to him. and, And he realized that he was like the prodigal son. You remember the story of the prodigal son? You know, he left his father and took part of the inheritance and he went away in a far land and wasted it all, you know, and he was in the party and the whole thing and finally his money ran out and they found himself feeding pigs, which was not a good thing for a Jewish boy to do. And, you know, and then the Bible says he came to his senses. This young man said, it was like something caused me to see that I had left home 
And I want to come back to God. Oh, and the church too. And I thought, oh, this is practicing resurrection, my friends. When you realize that you have moved away and God is calling you back. You remember what the father said? That incredible story of the prodigal son. You remember the father is waiting for the son to come over the, the rise. You know, he's standing there longing for the son to come home. And then he sees him one day. And the father runs to him, which is not something a Jewish father would do in those days. He runs to him and he embraces him. And, you know, and the son starts confessing and, you know, and telling his thing that he had rehearsed. And his father just sort of, he says, you know, never mind. And he puts the new robe on and puts the ring on his finger. And then he says this. He says this. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And then it says they begin to throw a party, which is what you do, right? When someone's lost and then they're found when they're dead and now they're alive. This is practicing resurrection. We practice resurrection every time we baptize somebody. This is really strange to some people who are not used to the whole baptism thing, the whole immersion thing particularly. People say, how come you got to have so much water? I mean, the church I was at, they just, you know, like that. But this, this is, you take people in there and you, boom, you dunk them all the way under. And why do you do that? Well, we do it because we think that's what the Bible teaches. And also because it's a beautiful picture, according to what the Word of God says, of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We, we dunk them down, death, burial, we don't hold them there, right? We, we, right? And somebody will say something and raise to newness of life because it's a picture, you see? And it's actually good for our souls to submit to this. It's humbling and it's good for us. How many of you have been baptized? Was it a good thing for you? It brings you to the place of submission. I mean, you humble yourself and you go home wet. And it's pretty cool, actually. We practice resurrection when we do this. We say, yes, we die. We die, and now we want a new life that only God can give to us, and we trust Him for that. We practice resurrection when we, we refuse to give ourselves anymore to the stuff that's killing us. The stuff that's bringing death to our minds and our thought life. You know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? We practice, we practice resurrection every time we refuse to give ourselves any more to that. And we do what Romans 6 says. We no longer give any part of our body, our mind, our thought, our eyes, our hands, or anything. Do anything that it becomes an instrument of unrighteousness. Now we become, our whole body becomes actually a tool in the hand of God to bring about good and right. We practice resurrection when we refuse to retaliate. When we actually turn the other cheek either figurative or physically, when we do good to someone that we could hate. The Bible is really graphic about this. Romans 12, 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you know you can overcome evil with good? It just stuns people. When they think you're, you're going to whack them, and then you do something good, you give to them. It's startling and it brings about life. That's what God wants us to do. Practicing resurrection is all about forgiving someone and working to restore this relationship. And you refuse to accept that it's dead. You will not let this person become an enemy. Practicing resurrection is when you refuse to give in to bitterness and you ask God for the ability to love. It's not just that you refuse to give in to bitterness. That's really all about you. But what you do is you ask God to give you an ability to love this person in a new way. That's resurrection. 
Practicing resurrection is when you don't wait for the other person to come to you, but you walk across the room, you go to them, you knock on their door, you call them on the phone because you want God to bring life to this resurrection, to this relationship. You practice resurrection every time you give someone a second chance and a third chance and a fourth and a fifth and a tenth chance. Can you imagine forgiving somebody that much? Are you watching any of this TV series, The Bible? The book is better. Um, But it's not bad, right? I mean, it's it's hard to put the stuff on a screen. Yeah, okay, I won't go there. So, um, there is one scene that I think I I saw last weekend, I'm not sure. Um, The disciples of Jesus are sitting around, I think they're sitting around at campfires at night, and Jesus is sort of over there, and the disciple, Jesus has just called these disciples to himself, and a couple of them are looking up, and they're they're looking at Matthew, the tax collector. One of them was a zealot, Simon, and they hate, in fact, they carry little daggers, if I could ever kill a tax collector, I would. So, I mean, you can see there's interesting relationships going on. So they're looking at Matthew, and there's the scum you know, this guy cooperates with the Romans, you know, and why did Jesus call him? And now one of the disciples says, you know, he, Jesus, that is, gives people second chances. Perhaps we should also. And I thought, oh, yeah. That's resurrection, my friends. When you say, oh, yes, this is what God does and I will do. There are so many illustrations. You could come up with a list of things that will be practicing resurrection for your life, in your situation, with your relationships, in your neighborhood, with your money, with your experience, in your school, wherever it is you work. God gives you an opportunity again and again to practice resurrection, to refuse to practice life, but to practice resurrection, to believe one more time that he is the resurrection and the life, and that he has called you to live this kind of powerful life where you will risk yourself to practice new life. What will it mean for you? You've got to look back and believe. Practicing resurrection is about believing that he rose from the dead. And you've got to look forward and believe in the resurrection of the dead that someday you're going to be with a whole bunch of people that you never would have thought you would ever be with. And it will be great. And today we practice resurrection by turning to and depending on him who is the resurrection and the life. This is what God has called us to, to turn to and depend upon him who is the resurrection and the life. If you try to do this in your own strength, you will likely fail. So we focus on him. We celebrate his new life and we recognize he saves from death. Only he saves from death. And so we ask him, save us from death. We start looking around at our relationships and we say, what could God do if I would believe that he is the resurrection and the life? If I would believe enough that he is the resurrection and the life, and I would, maybe for me it's going to be and tell someone that, that he has given you new life. My friends, you honor Jesus Christ in your life best by living in his resurrection, by knowing he is alive. He knows it's hard to do. We, the whole world is not new yet. Someday, 
So you ask him, Lord Jesus, what could you do? What would you do if I turn to you, if I trust in you, if I step out, if I take the risk, if I open my mouth, if I go, if I touch, if I give, if I heal, if I care, if I long for you to work a miracle in this, what would you do? I want to say to you, I think he likes to be tested on this one. So what will you do? My friends, Easter is not just about believing what happened 2,000 years ago, and it's not just about believing and getting to go to heaven someday. It's about practicing resurrection now, today, in your life. And this will greatly honor him and please him. And I think it's probably the best way that you could glorify him. Do you understand this? Practice resurrection, my friends. Let's pray. So, Father, we ask you, I ask you, will you... Will you help us to get this? And whatever words you want to use in our mind and our heart, will you help us to get this truth that you want us to live in the very power and resurrection of Jesus Christ? And that you have given this power to us, and you will give it to us as we step out, as we trust you, as we submit to longing for new life. Will you help us? I know there's some relationships here that need new life. Some marriages, some relationships between father and Mother, between parents and children, at workplace, in our neighborhood, Lord, will you bring new life, we ask. Practice resurrection. Help us, we pray. Now as we give our hearts to take the Lord's Supper and we submit to him and we believe one more time in his body and his blood given for us, will you help us to be truly worshipers? In the name of the Master who has risen from the dead, we pray. Amen.